gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. About eight days after Jesus had foretold his death and resurrection, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. While he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly he saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was to, about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory, and the two men stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. They were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken. Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one of any of the things that they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Before I get into my formal remarks this morning, I uh, just want to deal with a couple of things quickly. Whoopsie daisy. Surprises in a new place. That doesn't seem to adjust. Okay. Maybe that'll be okay now, I hope, until I hit it again and knock it loose. There have been a few things that have happened lately that have left some people a little discombobulated, and those things need to be brought out up front, I think. You're about to start a new interim. Many of you, I suspect, are in grief to a certain degree. Mary Demler having left as your rector. I understand that last Sunday was her last Sunday here. We're all excited for her and praying for her and her new ministry. But at the same time, perhaps some are still a little bit anxious about the future of St. James and what the next page might be turned that might be turned okay that's one thing that's going on secondly you've got this guy standing up here that 
Uh, you obviously know something about, though I didn't hear what she said, uh, nevertheless, you know something about me. This is not my first visit to St. James, however. I have been here a number of times in the past, but it's been quite a while. My wife and I moved here 19 years ago, moved to Dahlonega 19 years ago, and I've been here several times during that time. The last time I was here was for the service held for our dear friend, Reginald Fuller. Reginald Fuller. Reginald. Thank you. You can tell I'm the most discombobulated of all. Reginald was a fine man and a good friend. And those of us who meet regularly for lunch right now over at the attic in Clarksville once a month, we join you in your grief over Reginald. We won't join you in your grief over Mary because she'll still come back occasionally, I hope, to join us for those luncheons at least. As I say, there's a couple of things. The other things that have happened in the last day or so that have got the whole country sort of off balance. What happened first in El Paso, Texas? As my home state, not my home city, but my home state. With 20 people at least killed and 26 more at least injured. And then more, I heard early this morning in Dayton, Ohio, another terrible thing. More people killed. More people injured. What's going on? This is something that we've been struggling with, you could say since Littleton, or since 9-11, or since I don't know how long. It just seems like one terrible tragedy after another, one senseless slaughter after another. Nothing we can do directly. We can't just flip a switch and turn off this kind of horrible thing. Undoubtedly, there will continue to be such things happening. We can pray God's mercy on the souls of those struck down so suddenly and upon those whose lives have been changed, not just 20 or 40 or 50, but hundreds of lives that have been changed as a result of those last two events. We can pray for those who perpetrate such terrible things. We ask God's mercy for them. And we can pray for our country and for the world 
that this kind of hatred and violence may cease and that God's kingdom might come at last, whether tomorrow or many years, many years down the road. We don't know. It's not ours to know. But we can pray and we can ask for God's grace. Undoubtedly, when we are faced with something like this, as terrible as it is, it's, it is so irrational, unnatural, so devastating, reminds me of the torture stories that we heard after World War II of the torture stories that we still hear out of Central and South America, out of all kinds of places in the world where people's minds have been turned toward evil. We can't blame people like that. When your mind has been turned, it's been turned. All we can pray for is that they will be turned again, turned back. And others that would follow in their footsteps will see the futility of this kind of action and resolve to live a different life. We're bound to ask, what kind of a God is this? that would allow such things? No matter how true it is, it sounds glib for me simply to say, a God who allows free will. Because he does. That's true. Easy to say. Harder to live with. What kind of a Jesus is this whom we worship? All four Gospels address that same question, but it's particularly well focused in the ninth chapter of Luke. Who do the crowds say that I am? Jesus asked. More to the point, he asks you and me, who do you say I am? Well, we know what the crowd said. The answer's right there. Some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. Maybe John the Baptist come back to life. Well, they preach a Jesus like John the Baptist preached, like Elijah preached, a, a Jesus of fear and guilt. If we can't feel guilty for something, we cast it on somebody else. 
and we're afraid. Their preachers ranted and raved and threatened their people with hellfire, as many preachers today do. My fellow priest associate over at St. Elizabeth's in Dahlonega, Walton Peabody, told a story one time. He's full of stories. <laughs> but he told a story one time about a preacher who told his congregation they were going to hell. Well, they got up a delegation and sent it into the judicatory and said, you got to get rid of this guy. You know, he's laying it on us every Sunday. He's telling us we're going to hell. Well, the head of the judicatory said, hmm, maybe I should take this seriously. That congregation's falling off. Not that many people coming anymore. So he arranged a move for that pastor, and he put in a new person. And this new pastor was as successful as you please. He was the, she, I think, was wonderfully loved by that congregation. And when the head of the judicatory came around, he said, uh, how's it going with your new pastor? And everybody said, oh, we love him. He's great. Does he still tell you you're going to hell? And they said, well, yeah, but he acts like he cares. <laughs> that kind of ambivalence about Jesus and about God was there in New Testament times, and it's still there today. Sometimes it wears a denominational tag, sometimes it doesn't. It's ubiquitous. It's all over the place. I'm sort of reminded of, you know, the guilt-tripping preacher reminds me anyway of uh, one of the churches in Lake Wobegon. You remember, anybody know Garrison Keeler? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember Our Lady of Perpetual, Perpetual Responsibility? Yeah. That's the guilt-tripping church. Now, Peter, on the other hand, said that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed king who was to lead Israel to victory over all their enemies. Followers of this general Jesus are those who continue to march along singing Onward Christian Soldiers. Not that Onward Christian Soldiers is a, a bad hymn. It's a great old hymn. It's a Gilbert and Sullivan type hymn. Very singable. It's great. But there's so many people that can't tell the difference between spiritual warfare and the warfare of physical violence. 
they get those two mixed up. They think that when somebody is identified as their enemy, they've got to stomp on them. Right? No. Would Jesus have stomped on them? I don't think so. There are Christians, people who call themselves Christians, that eagerly await Armageddon, look forward to laughing and singing as other Christians are victims of that final slaughter. Who's going to get slaughtered? Oh, all the bad folks, you know, all those Episcopalians and oh, I don't know who will. All the people they haven't liked all their lives. The Transfiguration story itself makes a good argument for regarding Jesus as a new Moses. After all, blinding light came from his face just as it did from Moses' face after he'd been up on Mount Sinai talking with God. What's more, Moses was the giver of the law. And Jesus said that neither a jot nor a tittle shall fall from the law until all be accomplished. Hmm. Of course, for the typical follower of this Moses Jesus, it's much more important that the Ten Commandments be planted on courthouse lawns than it is that they be obeyed. Have you noticed that? I suspect that most folks, most of these folks, would be quite surprised to hear that Jesus radically reinterpreted the law. It was not his grandfather's commandments. Jesus radicalized it. He made it clear that it's not just wrong to do things, it's wrong to think certain things because you alienate yourself from other people and from God. No one can possibly live up to all the demands of the law. The great Gamaliel said there weren't just 10, but 534 of them. All the oral tradition that flows out of the Torah. Nobody could possibly live up to all those commands except by what St. Paul calls grace. And all those passages in Romans and Galatians and so on. No matter what you think of Paul, on that score, I think he was right on. Grace, mercy, love. These are a free gift. You don't deserve them any more than the person who pulled the trigger in Dayton or who pulled the trigger in El Paso. All the Gospels testify to a certain amount of confusion about this Jesus whom we worship. 
All of them do. But there is, at least in Luke, there's very little confusion about that. To him, Jesus was more than a fire and brimstone preacher, more than a lawyer or judge preserving the status quo, even more than a general Patton kind of Messiah. Jesus is the crucified and risen one, the Son of God, who calls each and every one of us to deny ourselves and live for others the way he did. If you were baptized in our church, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit in that baptism. And you were marked on your forehead with a cross. Because that's what the Christian life is about. With all its joy, with all the, the wonderful things that life in the church and in Christ can be, it's also about denying yourself and living for others. The cross brings with it the grace and the power of love against which there is no law and over which no army can prove victorious. No shooter of defenseless people in a shopping mall or in a school or in a church basement. Not sin itself, nor even death can prove victorious over the grace and love of Jesus Christ.